Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EVN Disrupt podcast. My name is Nizhdet Saturyan. I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. Our guests this week were Avetik Grikoryan, the CEO and co-founder of Bazum Space Research Laboratory, and Masis Gumrikyan, the technical director of space programs at the Center for Scientific Innovation and Education. They joined us to discuss the upcoming launch of Hayasat-1. Developed in a partnership between Bazunk and CSIE, Hayasat-1 is a CubeSat. Grigorian and Kumrigian explain what CubeSats are, their uses, and the current trends in satellite technologies. We also talk about the development process of Hayasat-1 and its potential implications for the future of Armenia space industry. Lastly, we also discuss the importance of popularizing science and space in Armenia and explore why this is significant. Thank you for listening. Avetik Masis, thank you both so much for being here today. I want to start with uh, both of your backgrounds a little bit. Avetik, please tell us how you got started in the in the space of both astrophysics and, and aerospace in Armenia. Thank you. Actually, I got interested in uh, space and astronomy uh, starting from uh, fifth grade of my uh, school years. And it was due to a popular science book. And uh, it was uh, telling about, 50% was telling about astronomy and 50% about astronautics. And my interest uh, uh, exactly uh, fitted into that. I focused on these areas. And uh, then when I started working in Burakan Observatory, it was my dream, my mission as I uh, was uh, I was feeling that it was my mission to start educating children in these areas. And I knew that uh, education lasts long. It re- uh, requires long time to have uh, significant results. I noticed that uh, USSR is collapsing uh, and the world is changing and we may lose all our potential in science, technologies and so on. And it was the very time, as soon as possible, to start educating children to rise new generation of specialists in these areas. Due to this activity, already 35 years, and I'm continuing uh, doing that, I managed to rise new generation, new specialists who achieved great success in their areas, in different uh, areas, actually, but uh, many of them exactly in space, in space technology. Uh, so this uh, created uh, a base a basis for uh, founding a space laboratory. So only in 2018, uh, we registered officially IAS, our Aerospace Society, together with my uh, graduates of my course, Aerospace course. And then uh, we, um, founded also two organizations. One is Armenian Model Rocketry Association, also for education, educating school children. And the other, Bazung Space Research Laboratory. Our IAS graduates uh, decided that it is time uh, uh, to start doing serious scientific research, mm-hmm. that they have grown up and can do that. It will be very important and necessary for our country. And we founded, by, at the end of the 2020, we founded Bazunk, uh, which is a research laboratory uh, d- doing research in uh, space. But, of course, uh, a lot of uh, engineering uh, stuff is uh, involved because whatever you uh, find something innovative, ideas, uh, you should prove, you should uh, achieve uh, proof of concept. You mm-hmm. should uh, launch a satellite and see how your ideas worked, mm-hmm. how, how it was successful or some uh, uh, adjustments needed. So we uh, decided to go in this direction and for us it was very mm, obvious that the best and easiest and quickest uh, uh, way for entering uh, for Armenia into space activity are the the small satellites. Uh, the standard is called uh, CubeSats. CubeSats. Yeah. Uh, strategically, it is a correct way for us to start. Uh, so uh, we started this project uh, regarding Hayasat, and fortunately, we also 
found good partners for collaborating mm-hmm. in this direction. Yeah. So, uh, Masis, let's hear a little bit as well about your background and tell us about CSIE as well. Sure. First of all, Nizhia, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. Um, and it's also always a pleasure to hear uh, Avadik's story, uh, starting from childhood mm-hmm. and how, uh, you know, uh, through the years, this story has developed. Okay, so if we if we start with childhood, um, I, you know, what motivated me to get into space? It's probably a, a, a cliche, but, you know, coming from the United States, I grew up watching Star Trek. <laughs> so for those people who know what that's about, it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a great show. Um, and so that's kind of what motivated me to get into space. And that, and that dream uh, I had as a kid, and then it kind of died off for a period, and I wanted to be a historian for some reason. <laughs> and then uh, after that, I you know, got more serious. I got into engineering. Uh, I went to uh, university for electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got a taste of space afterwards, it was very hard to, to, to go leave. back. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't go back to anything else. Um, yeah, I worked in diff- a couple of different areas, but um, the majority of my experience throughout my career, and it was continuous for, for almost 20 years straight, um, I worked on uh, space uh, systems and space programs uh, at, at a large Western uh, aerospace company. Gained a lot of experience there. I mean, there were times that I worked 10 years on one project, and there are times I worked 10 projects all in parallel. So. Uh, a lot of good experience uh, and, and learning best practices and things like that from that company. Um, so that was um, right before I moved to Armenia. So about two years ago, uh, we made a personal and a family decision to come to Armenia. We weren't sure if we were going to stay. We said we'll stay a year and then we'll see. But it's been two years now. and uh, That's usually how it happens. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. And it was right after the war, so, you know, we weren't sure what was going on. But I couldn't just, you know, sit around and do nothing here. Like I said, once you're involved in space, it's it's hard to yeah. uh, really have a passion for anything else. I mean, you can do other things, but my passion always remained with space. So, um, of course, a CubeSat project was something that we I, w- I was very interested in. Uh, but I was fortunate enough to get picked up by uh, CSI, so I'll give you a little background there. So uh, that's a Center for Scientific Innovation and Education. Uh, it's a, a nonprofit foundation that is basically focused on bringing uh, expertise um, from around the world. People like myself from the United States or Germany or other places, they, they come here uh, and they're given some facilities and research assistance from Polytechnic and other area, other universities. And they have different um, programs that they focus on, different research directions. Their primary one, I would say the one that they're most successful right now is control systems, flight control, you know, st- stabilization, uh, autonomous systems, et cetera, for drones. Is that at Polytechnic? It's based, yeah, it's uh, it's based in partnership with Polytechnic right now. Um, so that's where they're at. They have a pretty good drone lab. It's, it's probably the largest in Armenia. And even for the West, uh, it's considered quite large uh, drone lab. They have, they have a lot of... Uh, capacity for doing measurements and for drone flight control and how to optimize that. So there's a lot of good progress there. Uh, the aerospace portion of that CSI organization is w- what I'm the technical director for, uh, so running the space programs. So, of course, the first thing that, you know, w- once I got settled in, first thing I was thinking is, all right, I got I to gotta get back into space and figure out what to do here because there's a huge need uh, in Armenia for that. I see the, I see the potential and the ability, the capability and the need, I think, is obvious. So that's when we decided to, um, you know, pair up and uh, mm-hmm. pair up with Bazumk, and uh, that's been a great collaboration ever since. And then we could talk about ISAT. Absolutely. Is the role of CSIE um, when partnering with academic and research institutions such as Polytechnic University to facilitate expertise, connections, funding? What exactly is the role of CSIE when when partnering with these institutions? It's a collaborate, just like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it for the CubeSat, why it makes sense to collaborate, but for CSI in general, yeah, its purpose was to bring in uh, specialists and other, there's a whole uh, suite of PhDs that are coming in, in this year. Over the summer, there were several PhDs here uh, working with the students and creating research projects and uh, some knowledge transfer and uh, 
working with uh, Polytechnic and other universities to, mm -hmm. to create projects that are going to be valuable going forward. And it's all done in collaboration within existing institutions in Armenia or are there some projects done? Yeah, they have independent well. projects. They have projects where they collaborate, et cetera. Yeah. Mm, got it. I want to dive into uh, Hayasat one, but there's one question I, I really want to ask first uh, to you, Avitik. Masis just shared with us that, you know, in the U.S. and maybe in the West more broadly, shows like Star Trek and, and other ones are, are quite good at popularizing space for younger people. I've always been curious. We always heard about how in the Soviet Union, uh, the space program and everything was such a point of pride for uh, for people. Um, but it's often spoken about in the context of Russian society. What was it like in Soviet Armenia? What was the influence of the Soviet space program and the, the advancements and achievements that the Soviet Union made in space with on, on Soviet Armenia? Uh, okay. Actually, USSR at some time, uh, at some point, started doing uh, space telescopes. It was made, uh, I think, correct decision to do it not somewhere in Russia or in other republic, Soviet Republic, but do it in Armenia. Because we had a good level in astrophysics, in a Burakan observatory, and ba based on that observatory, they decided to create uh, a space research institution some, and uh, start doing those telescopes. Uh, they had serious technical problem. They needed uh, stabilization of the picture in the view of the telescope's field. And uh, this was a challenge uh, at those times. And both USSR and America started uh, solving this problem. And they were going almost in parallel. Uh, sometimes uh, US, US was... Uh, ahead and then uh, USSR and uh, the institution that was uh, created at that time uh, was called Granite uh, Special Design Bureau. Uh, it was uh, situated in uh, Garni. Then other institutions also emerged and uh, actually uh, the program had a success. Uh, we created uh, two telescopes, uh, Orion 1 and Orion 2, sp first Soviet space telescopes. One of them was installed on first uh, Soviet uh, space station, Salut 1, and the other on uh, spaceship Soyuz 13. The results were satisfying. And then uh, some other projects uh, related, similar projects, uh, followed. Uh, two telescopes were then um, installed on Mir space station and another a separate uh, satellite, Astron, was created uh, uh, in collaboration with Crimean Observatory and also launched. The solution that was developed here for um, tracking platform uh, was used in all those projects and it was a good solution and that it was also developed but uh, unfortunately, uh, the crash of the country, the collapse of the country, resulted in losing all this potential. Mm -hmm. uh, just we know that we could do that, uh, we can do that again, but we need to start from, uh, from scratch, unfortunately. Uh, and we, we will do it. But were those efforts during Soviet times, were those efforts impactful on society in terms of popularizing space and increasing interest in space? I think that the educational system and the whole system for popularization of uh, science was on a very good level. Mm -hmm. There were journals, popular science uh, uh, journals, uh, films, uh, books, and all this stuff was uh, directing young people towards that uh, areas, and it was very efficient. Mm -hmm. My interests uh, were a result of that system. Right. I think it was very well set up, but uh, again, uh, the collapse of the country ruined everything. Right. So let's talk about some of the efforts that you guys are both working on to help us get back to a point where there was a level of interest in space and Armenia was a player to some extent in, in the field. Um, let's talk about Hayasat-1, but let's start by explaining what is a CubeSat. Sure. The satellite, I think, you know, we don't need to go into that. That's, that's quite obvious what a satellite is, but a, for a CubeSat is a 
standard format for a satellite, right? So uh, probably what most people have seen through movies or news or anything else, they see large um, custom satellites. Uh, some of them could be the size of a table, a refrigerator. I mean, I've worked on ones that are the size of a school bus, so they, they can be pretty big. Um, and those are meant to last 15 years or longer. Uh, CubeSats uh, started, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, um, but this is, it was still in, in its infancy, infancy back then. Now there are hundreds and thousands are probably being flown every year. A CubeSat is a uh, 10 centimeter by 10 centimeter format. It's a one U, it's called a one unit, and you can have different uh, sizes, right? So a CubeSat can go from a one U all the way up to 16 units or more. But um, typically, once you get be beyond 16 units, you probably want to have your own custom bus that you design because there's other things going on there. Uh, in terms Is there of units managing. connected to one another kind of? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's meant to be a... Uh, for ours, is a one unit because it's a technology demonstrator, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But in, in general, uh, a CubeSat... Um, helps you uh, follow certain standards. It, 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 and the purpose for that is to make the engineering easier and to bring costs down, specifically having to do with launch, right? So if you can uh, efficiently package these into a deployer and that deployer can go into a launch vehicle and then that can be launched, it, it, you can put a lot of these, um, we'll call them payloads. It's a payload for the launch vehicle, but it's a, you know, it's, it's a spacecraft for us. Uh, these things can be packaged efficiently and you can share the cost of a launch and, and that way it makes it more affordable and, and it lowers the barriers of entry into space. And so this is what's brought um, it'd be, it'd be two things. One is the CubeSat standard that has made the efficient sharing of rides to space more affordable. And the second is the uh, affordability of launch vehicles. And that's thanks to SpaceX mostly. Uh, so that, you know, you have re reusable launch vehicles and instead of spending hundreds of millions of dollars to get up to space, you can now do it for under $100,000. And you can share the ride, as you were saying, yeah. with dozens of other right. uh, things that are being flown to space. Exactly. So, that, that, so from that perspective, it makes it more efficient. It makes the engineering easier. There are standards to follow, et cetera. And you can buy off-the-shelf components that you can use to integrate into your system. There's various benefits to standardization and, and that you know because and you see that across different domains different areas of engineering they have standardization and, and, and it brings benefits we didn't really have that in space uh up until recently uh everything was custom it cost millions and billions of dollars because it was custom to that that customer had specific requirements specific capabilities that they needed to execute their missions etc now by that standardization it really helps mm -hmm. um get things done. Now it makes the engineering easier on one hand. On the other, on the other hand, you could say it makes it harder because if, if I have a 16U CubeSat or if I have a custom sat, you know, let's say the same size, um, you know, the standardization of the CubeSat, you know, you, ha you have to fit within this volume. You have to have this weight limitation, et cetera. Uh, you can't have things protruding out. Uh, those things make the engineering harder, uh, especially if you have a uh, specific mission that you need to accomplish. Mm -hmm thermal management, things like that. Whereas on a on a custom spacecraft, maybe that might be an easier problem to solve because you don't have those limitations. You can uh, mm -hmm. customize your solution. So so overall, that's the uh, overview of right. CubeSat. And what, what are CubeSats used for today? Putting Hyacet one aside for a second. In general, what are the functions of CubeSats? Okay, uh, let me uh, add uh, two advantages for small satellites uh, and particularly for CubeSats. Uh, it is easy and uh, cheap for CubeSats to, to use them uh, for creating satellite networks. If you want to create a satellite network uh, covering the whole globe for some services on, or research, you cannot launch that much, a big quantity of uh, satellites, uh, big, big satellites. You need small satellites. Uh, specialized on uh, uh, some particular functionality. And here where a small satellite has advantage, it is easier to do with a small satellite. And the other one that uh, small satellites have short design uh, cycle. Mm. 
So iterating is faster. Iterating is faster. Uh, if you la launch a big satellite for 15 years, and uh, then you see that uh, the technologies develop so fast that uh, it become a useless unit, a new satellite, uh, then you understand, you realize that it would be better to send a smaller satellite. It will last, for example, five years, and then you will launch another mm -hmm. one with uh, using new technologies. So these two advantages are obvious also for small satellites. That is why uh, the space market uh, is showing a great progress in the direction of small satellites. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'd add, I'd add something to that. Yeah. So in the past, uh, 60 satellites was considered a huge constellation. Mm -hmm. Iridium, for example, is 60 satellites. That's a big constellation. Now, yeah, there's thousands in, in, within Starlink, let's say, in one right. constellation. So that's one advantage. The other one, that's a good point. It reminded me of, you know, the larger satellites are great. They're redundant and they have redundancies, et cetera. Um, but they're, they're, they're not very survivable you know, in itself, there's there's not any single point of failure because every they have redundant systems, but in its entirety, it is a single point of failure, right? Whereas if you have a, um, a distributed architecture with small satellites, if they take if if one goes down, if one goes down, that's okay. It's it's a, it's right. a node and a network, and that can continue to operate. So, so it makes a distributed architecture kind of, exactly yeah. is that and that that idea has not now gone into space and it's right. taking hold. So a, a network of CubeSats would do like different function, function A, B, C, D, E, okay. and then you can upgrade function E by deploying a new satellite into that network? I mentioned some services and research. Right. For example, you, have, you may have a network of satellites that are um, measuring the infrared radiation of Earth mm -hmm. and measuring the radiation of Sun and looking for some correlations. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, to understand the Sun-Earth uh, connections, how it works, and so on, and to have a better forecasts for weather, for global warming, and so on. This is the, an example for research purposes of such network. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, the Starlink, uh, the purpose of Starlink satellites are, is uh, internet, providing internet to remote uh, areas and so on and uh, 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 this is just a service for um, communication and it, it is also useful. Uh, actually CubeSats can be used in all those uh, applications that we have for other uh, satellites. Uh, it may be navigation, meteorological communication, many many different applications actually we are using in our ordinary life every hour uh, these services and even uh, some do not uh, know and imagine that it is due to the satellites mm -hmm. they just they are used to uh, uh, use that uh, services but they don't know that if something helps the, uh, something happens there and uh, everything stops it will be very hard to do their er everyday functions that they are used to do. Yeah. Proliferated navigation, proliferated communication, uh, persistent overhead observation, mapping, or, or earth observation and mapping. These things are um, part of society now. Right. Yeah. E even it may be research in fundamental physics. Hmm. For example, you have three satellites, uh, forming a triangle and they are connected with laser beams and they are very accurately controlled mm -hmm. and you can use such a th system to uh, uh, to uh, detect gravitational waves to mm. check uh, Einstein's theory uh, uh, theory of gravitation to to observe the uh, universe in in that range in gravitational waves mm -hmm. Uh, these are new things that in future it will open a new window to the universe to see how it works, uh, how, how it looks in that range. I imagine that you can do more with less these days, which is the trend in any field of technology and it seems like the same in satellites. Are CubeSats moving towards a place where they start 
replacing or augmenting existing larger satellite systems? Is the trend towards smaller and more distributed satellite networks? Or will the larger things always Exactly. Exist? There, yeah. There's definitely a trend. I right. think there's no question there's a trend that small sats uh, are, are the future, but that doesn't mean right. that the large sats go, go away because there are certain things that you can only do with a large satellite. Up in space, your resources are limited, right? right. So um, how much I need to transmit something powerful, I can't transmit something powerful with a small satellite with small solar panels, right? right? right. I need large solar panel array uh, that can uh, handle a, you know, large amplifiers, large antennas, mm -hmm. all the heat that's created by that, how, how do they dissipate that? Uh, so that can only be done with a large satellite. For example, I mean, there's you know, there's many other examples. Large telescopes. If you want to peer into deep space for astronomy or other purposes, you know, you need you need the the large uh, satellites. Right. There's many examples of that, but um, there's a place for both, uh, and and the place for small satellites continues to grow. Right. Uh, you know, at this point, it's you know, exponential growth. You know, right. There's no end in sight. But uh, eventually, it'll find an e equilibrium between the two. Right. Yeah. I guess it's very like analogous to how computers developed, right? We started with huge computers that were the size of... Miniaturization, yes. Yeah, that uh, by today's standards were weak. And then those became smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where they fit in our pockets. But we still have massive computing clusters that do more complex things, right? Like supercomputers and stuff. Actually, uh, and I'm glad you brought that up, actually. That's a very good analogy because I think there's a misper uh, uh, misperception that, oh, it's a tiny satellite, you know. It's, it's weak. It's, it's a toy. It's a right? toy. <laughs> right. Well, you don't say your iPhone is a toy because That's it's right, small. Yeah. You want it to be small. <laughs> right, right. Right. So being small is not necessarily a problem. It could actually be an advantage. Right. Um, and and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but, you know, the subsystems within a small sat or a CubeSat is very similar to what's going on, on a, in a large satellite. Um, uh, you know, similar subsystems, similar interfaces, similar integration issues that you have. Um, I mean, the one thing I always point out is the, the main difference is the larger satellites probably have a propulsion system to help keep them in orbit for 15 years, mm -hmm. you know, keep them on station. Um, whereas, you know, with a CubeSat, it's okay if the orbit decays after several years because I'm already launching new ones. Because it's cheap to constantly. So, right, exactly. And I don't really have a need for a propulsion system, which adds a lot of expense right. and cost, et cetera. So this is one of the differences. But besides that, there's a lot of things that are very similar. Mm -hmm. It's just a miniaturized, more efficient yeah. version of a large mm -hmm. satellite. I mean, I'm, I'm oversimplifying a little bit, but you know, that yeah. is a general Gives us a picture. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, um, sometimes... Uh, uh, the size and the weight, uh, even just the size and the weight matters in, uh, for some tasks. For example, you want to uh, track the slow motion of tectonic plates on the Earth. And um, it's very uh, slow motion and you need a satellite in orbit mm -hmm. whose uh, orbit is very stable. Uh, meaning that other factors are uh, very weak for for that satellite to affect their motion. For this, we need a weighty uh, satellite with small uh, surface, a small volume, to make its orbit uh, stable. Uh, other factors, in that case, it's very inert and you can't change uh, its motion and you can use it for laser ranging uh, of different parts of uh, uh, continents and see how they change their position during a year or mm -hmm. some years. It's uh, depending on the task. Some tasks require big satellites, even the weight matters, uh, regardless of their construction. Just you need uh, to have uh, a weighty satellite. Uh, for example, there was a satellite with uh, retro reflectors Again, uh, very massive and uh, covered all with reflectors so that we can uh, send a laser beam to those uh, satellites and get back and uh, measure the distance. And using this, uh, these satellites, the very intriguing uh, consequences of uh, gravitational theory of 
Einstein were able to measure and find out whether they really exist or not. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, Anishde, I hope it's clear now why Avetik is our chief scientist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's so interesting how much uh, fundamental research is done uh, through these uh, avenues as well. So let's come to the, the project that you guys are collaborating on now, which is Hayasat One. Tell us what it is and what its mission is. Hayasat One. Okay, so we could talk about how we picked the name, too. We'll talk about that. But I do want uh, to hear that story. First, <laughs> um, what the mission is, what the purpose is, right? So that's a very good question because I think it's a natural question anyone's going to ask when they hear about this is, oh, okay, you built a satellite. What does it do? Mm-hmm. Right? Because everybody wants a satellite to do something. Um, and so for us, since we don't have a – we did this independently – um, before we go out and, and go get a, a, a large or a serious customer that is willing to put millions of dollars down, we said we need to do a technology demonstration, right? So we independently on our own said, let's, let's um, show that this is possible in Armenia because there's a lot of doubt that it can be done. You know, this is the, this is the game of large countries and powerful countries. We shouldn't get involved in this game, but... Uh, I think that's that's not the right approach. I think it it should be obvious to everybody why space is important, and not just space as a concept and you know like a you know abstract abstract concept, but uh, having uh, um, uh, capability to handle and develop your own space technology, and to have uh, assets in space, to have a capability in space. I think that it needs to be obvious to everybody. Um, for all the reasons that we already discussed. So why did we do this? We did this as a, a technology demonstrator. So we wanted to show that it's not really what the satellite's capability is. It's that we have the capability to build a satellite. That, that's the idea. Because once we can demonstrate that capability, then you can add whatever capability you want on the satellite, right, on the next generation, on the next version. So the idea was we wanted to do end-to-end full life cycle of a satellite program starting from the concept um going through the all all the system architecture doing the trade studies understanding what we what components we want to use uh uh, how do we how do we want to operate this we even we're thinking we just want to demonstrate that there's a communication link but we also decided let's let's add a uh an experimental payload uh, on there as well, just to show the payload integration, because mm-hmm. that's a skill that you need to learn as well if, if you're going to develop space systems. So um, the purpose is to do that end-to-end demo uh, of the space system, and then the sec- secondary purpose is a that experimental payload, which is basically something that we developed here in Armenia from scratch. So it's not just a um, systems engineering and integration uh, and to build the satellite and to test it and to launch it and all the logistical uh, um, challenges with organizing something that has never been done in Armenia before and all the international obligations that we have as well, uh, arranging for the international launch, et cetera. Not, not just those things, but also um, a, integrating a payload uh, that's going to serve some kind of purpose. For, in, in this case, it's, it's experimental. Uh, we designed something from nothing, and uh, it's supposed to be a navigation payload to help us uh, um, get GPS positioning and also um, inertial measurement so that we understand what direction uh, the satellite is facing, its mm-hmm. attitude uh, attitude determination is what it's called, its orientation essentially. Um, and we want to compare it with other data so that we can optimize it going forward and have, have something that's uh, useful for future uh, satellites. So the, the, those are the two primary purposes of this. Is One, it's educational, right? So this is a, um, since it's a, a, this is a non-government program, it's totally you know, between educational institutions. So it's, an, it's considered an amateur. We're using amateur frequency bands. Uh, the spectral band that we're allowed to use, uh, so it's an amateur frequency, and we're u- and, and it's an educational uh, uh, purpose for the satellite. So with, between between the demo and going through those exercises and getting that experimental data, data from the payload, I think we'll be set for the next version. Educational in the sense of the team that's working on it is not going to be well equipped to one day design f- future systems and launch them right will not be equipped you said, or, or no, will like, be equipped? Well, the, so that the team is prepared for future 
launches is that what you mean by educational or to prepare professional resources uh, for for this area and not only you know uh, the engineering tasks that uh, they will uh, deal with uh, will help them to become good specialists and they use will use may use their uh, knowledge in other areas as well Masis says that it is obvious why it is uh, important uh, being engaged in uh, space activity. Uh, but uh, if uh, for those that uh, it is not so obvious, I would like to mention that uh, the uh, space is the most high technological uh, area. It is a, a very multidisciplinary field. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we succeed in this direction, it may become, it will become a, a, a kind of locomotive for other high technological uh, fields of Armenia institutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may uh, order them uh, some parts for our satellites and they will uh, create those kind of collaboration. And on the other hand, they will need to perform their experiments in space for some materials, uh, instrumentation, and so on. And they will ask uh, us to take their payloads into space for performing those experiments. And uh, this will uh, be a kind of synergy, a collaboration between different institutions. And uh, 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 it will lead all of us to higher technologies and uh, better uh, uh, advanced potential for being involved also in um, uh, foreign uh, uh, projects, uh, foreign companies, uh, and to find our niche in the space market, in the world space market, our special uh, and uh, most efficient niche for Armenia. You mean including delivering projects for... Um, I don't know, co- companies abroad, like that are looking to launch CubeSats? Potentially, yeah. potentially. And, and I wanted to come back to this for a second about the value, the educational value, et cetera, because one thing I wanted to add is um, in Armenia, when, uh, I've noticed uh, in the past couple of years, uh, we have great, you know, uh, great uh, expertise in design and mm. obviously software. I mean, uh, I think that's obvious again to everybody that Armenia has is world-class when it comes to software. Um, and, and so if, if I need someone to code, uh, that's not a problem. We could find people here that can code. Even in hardware design, it's not as... Uh, Depending e- on the niche, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you can, if you need a PCB designed, th- that's not a problem. We can find that here as well. So in Armenia, I think we're at that point where we can do the building blocks. We could do software. We could do hardware. We have the building blocks. But I think what we need to start growing as a, as a uh, capability is systems engineering. So we, we haven't been really doing um, full end-to-end solutions, right? Because I think it might be a leftover thing from the Soviet Union where we always did a piece and then it would go to Republic. Moscow and Moscow would make it into a system. But we would do a piece of it in Armenia. And so we, until now, you could see we're very good at that lower level design, but we need to start architecting systems mm-hmm. and, 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 and creating solutions to problems and look, looking at it that way and then use these building blocks that we have the capacity for. So I think that's what I, I've been focusing. And that's one of the reasons why when we, we started discussing this, we didn't say, hey, let's, let's design a space payload or a space computer or a space something. We said, we need to develop a space system. And so I think that was a huge educational piece of this because, um, so it's not just the systems engineering part, it's but it's also the space domain. Mm-hmm. So I, I really was impressed. I have to say, I'm, I'm very proud of the team. Um, electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, software engineers, they're there, uh, even at the university level or mid, mid uh, career level, we have that. But uh, through that system engineering and any space domain experience I was able to share with them, they were able to pick that up quickly and using their engineering expertise for technology in, in general, we were able to just apply that to the space mm-hmm. domain because that has a unique set of conditions and uh, you know techniques that you right. need to take into account. Tell us a little bit about the team that worked on Hyosat 1 specifically. How many people does it comprise? 
the team uh, uh, we have ten uh, members in the team. And these are all are these Bazumk members half, or half uh, from Bazumk, half from uh, CSIE. CSI. Uh, and uh, it is interesting that everybody has its uh, uh, special area uh, where he's the best in the team and they fit each other uh, and uh, uh, add his uh, capability to the to the team uh, it is very efficiently uh, formed team uh, and that is why uh, we, we i think we will su succeed because uh, when um, every everybody is in its uh, right place then uh, you, you can uh, hope that it it will succeed from Bazung, we have uh, four or five uh, specialists. These are what are their backgrounds? Like, what uh, exactly are their roles on the team? As uh, Masi said, uh, I am the chief scientist. Uh, Heik Martirosian is um, he is the CTO of uh, Bazung, leading the lead, leading head, the top lead engineer on uh, engineering on the team, that yeah. technical part uh, of the project. Uh, he has great experience in. Uh, uh, microelectronics, uh, software development, and so on. And we have Vachik Khachatrian, who is um, who has PhD in nuclear physics, uh, but uh, he is very interested in space, and uh, he did a great job uh, for Hayasat. So on Hayasat, he was uh, helping with the command and data handling, uh, mm -hmm. so the uh, onboard computer and. Uh, the software user interface that helps manage all the, the flight software on the vehicle. He helped do a lot of that, um, had, had to um, structure the commands and, 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 and get the, get the right data for processing and interpretation. And so I would, mm -hmm. I would say C and DH subsystem is what he was focused on. Got yeah. it. And, uh, he could, uh, solve many, many problems mm -hmm. that we faced during the development. Uh, and uh, this is a great co contribution uh, from everybody. Also, we have uh, Nelly Papazian that uh, um, uh, is working on attitude control tasks uh, because we will have on our next generation uh, satellites mm -hmm. uh, these tasks as very important and necessary to add new functionality to our bigger satellites. Uh, so uh, uh, this is about the stuff from Bazung, and also uh, Masis can from tell a, about. Yeah, from a CSI perspective, uh, I'm not sure if I haven't asked if they want their names all announced uh, just online. Generally, so I'm, I'm just going to give the, positions if yeah, that's sure, okay. Yeah, of uh, I'm not sure, so I, I, I don't want to take the risk. Um, so um, project management, we said we would help with the project management. And here, project management is very important. I mean, everywhere project management is important. Uh, I don't want to uh, underestimate that. But in space, it's especially important because uh, the schedule is fixed. Right. SpaceX is not waiting for you, right? If you don't make it in time, that, not a nice that bus is leaving catch, without yeah. you, right? They're not right. going to say, well, you know, Hyasset's not ready, so right. that's a delay. Uh, that, so it's a very fixed and rigid schedule. Uh, you need to make sure that you have margin. I need to understand your schedule. Well. So it, it requires a lot of planning. It requires a lot of risk assessment. So risk assessment, risk mitigation. This whole thing is about risk. Uh, Avedik knows every day we had issues and every day we had to assess the risk. Do we use as is? Do we upgrade this? Do we, uh, uh, why? Uh, what's the impact? What's the likelihood of that risk? So every day was constant risk assessment. <laughs> we had constant uh, yeah. issues. How long was this project? Start time? Uh, about a year and a half now, but it's, it will continue, right? right? Because it's not the end. This is still, uh, we still need to, and I'll talk about the phases in a minute, mm -hmm. but let me come back to yeah, sure. the people. The so besides project management, um, my background, my technical background is in RF systems. So I help with the uh, communication link. Um, but um, I mean, besides product development and system integration and engineering management, I, uh, those are the things that I try to, from my past, to try to apply here. RF systems, it, it, this one it was not as complex as things we've worked in in the past. So that part uh, was, I was able to devote more time to um, helping with the systems. Mm -hmm. So I, kind of like as a technical director, I was help, helping across the different subsystems and being that systems engineer. So um, 
besides project management, systems engineering, uh, RF, uh, we also uh, helped out with uh, uh, mechanical uh, analysis and mechanical engineering portion of it. Um, we also had uh, electrical integration that we had to do. Um, and then we had someone that was focused on the payload. So we had a payload engineer uh, as well. Um, and I think that we had, a, or we have an orbital analyst as well. And that orbital analyst actually has good experience uh, from uh, working in the past with another company and worked very well with Avedik. And, and so that's, that's another thing I want to point, point at, uh, highlight is, and I always mention this, is that it, SpaceX, the whole thing is Elon Musk, but it's really not all Elon Musk. I mean, he's one guy. There's, you can't, space can't be done with one person. Right. I mean, it's impossible. It's all about teamwork, just like any other project, but especially in space, teamwork is very important. Everyone has to take ownership of a subsystem or a piece of the integration or a piece of the uh, life cycle. And that's how it works. And we've been very fortunate enough to collaborate because I would say even the great Elon Musk, he did this all in 10 years time. He had never seen a rocket before. Like he had no idea where to start with, but he was able to work very well with NASA. NASA gave him a lot of that knowledge, did that, a lot of knowledge sharing with him. And that's how he was able to apply his innovation to the foundations that NASA had built over half a century. So um, that's kind of what we tried to do here with our backgrounds and the Building team on we built on top yeah. of that. And, and we were able to work very well together. And that collaboration, I think, uh, is another success. Despite what happens with the satellite in space, if, you know, radiation or whatever messes up the electronics, we don't know what's going to happen in space. But despite any of that, what we've done in the past year and a half, I think, is a, is a huge success and mm -hmm. something that... Um, and a good example added. for how, how uh, teams can collaborate. Sometimes we even forget who is from uh, what uh, organization. It works like one team. Mm -hmm. We don't uh, differentiate uh, that you are from those com uh, organization you are from Basum cancer we don't remember about that we are working together as one team mm -hmm. helping each other even uh, when um, somebody works in his area and it is not my area but if i see i can help uh, we are doing that uh, this is a component of success that we ho have already regardless Uh, what will happen after the launch right yeah i think anyone who's worked on large systems would attest that that's both extremely necessary and that you guys are very lucky to have that uh, it's not easy yeah. to, to come by so when does hyacet one launch it's supposed to launch um i guess we could talk about it at this point because we've resolved most of our issues so i'm more <laughs> i'm very risk adverse i i don't like to right. <laughs> i don't like to over promise and under deliver because i know that's a sure. big problem so i always try to do the opposite but now that we've overcome most of our issues um We can say November 29 uh, is the SpaceX launch. Uh, but again, that's SpaceX launch. That could slip. Yeah, exactly. Because of weather and other things, it could slip into December. So you know, don't hold that against us. Uh, so later this year. <laughs> yes. By, hopefully by the end of yeah. this year, we'll have launched. Got it. Yeah. But before that, there's a process. So now... Up until now, we've been so focused on the technical and resolving all the integration issues and all the technical issues that we've had um, and trying to get this. Um, and again, everything's about risk. Uh, we'll, we could talk about it. When, when we go into operations, we're going to see issues and we'll explain those issues and we'll talk about the process and, and what the risks associated with that was. And uh, so we'll wait for that. But before launch, we need to take this now to our partner in Europe where we need to do some final environmental testing. Uh, and then we need to integrate it into a, a, a deployer, a CubeSat deployer. Uh, and that process is very um, uh, sen sensitive as well. Uh, so once that's done, then it ships to SpaceX and, and it goes from there. So uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Uh, every step along the way, there is risk uh, because it's not like any other subsystem, any other system where you could fly this thing. Hey, it's not flying, right? Bring it back. We're going right. to bizarre like whatever get that, that fix that thing and, yeah Dizel or whatever and then fly it again right. uh, we can't do that here we, right. we once it's up there it's up there and if it fails it fails uh, right. so there's a lot of risk and there's a mm -hmm. lot of um, um, uh, testing that mm -hmm. has to be done so the, the testing regime on this has to be very extensive to which make is sure. what you guys are starting now yeah which is what we've actually been in the process of 
uh, I, I wasn't gonna. Uh, I, I I preferred not to get into the whole media cycle until we got through the testing cycle. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's where we are now. Most okay. of the testing is got done. It. Yeah. Um, so last year Armenia launched uh, its first satellite, right? The, uh, which I think again was done in in collaboration with with Bazumk. No, no, those strictly on the the government side. No, it, it, just uh, the government decided that it needs remote sensing uh, satellite. Right. It was, I think, correct decision because we can't immediately uh, grow up to that level to have 16U satellite with uh, remote sensing mm-hmm. uh, providing resolution up to 2 or 2.5 meters uh, of images uh, and yeah. so on. But we have the need, uh, so uh, they decided to purchase, mm-hmm. uh, it, which means that uh, no uh, Armenian specialist uh, worked on that, uh, designed or tested and something else. It was p- completely done abroad, and launch, launched from abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, Armenian government purchased that satellite for its needs. Got it. Which I think is a good thing. I mean, and, and, and I think Avidik agrees, right? It's a correct decision. But it's important to note that um, Armenia, uh, and this was all done in parallel, actually. Yeah. We started this CubeSat program. I, at least I was totally unaware that uh, Armsat even existed because I think they kept it confidential uh, for s- certain reasons. Nobody knew about it. So uh, there's been a lot of momentum in the past two years. I think we've probably all noticed Star Moose and, mm-hmm. and Armsat and our program. So there's a lot of space momentum, and, and I think it's going to just go from there. So it's important to note that um, Armenia and Armenians mm-hmm. in general, we need to realize something. And this is a, a quote that I use, and I think it's catching on. Other people are using it as well. It's important is that we need to realize that Armenia is a landlocked country with no access to the seas, small you know, territory, and our only salvation is looking up. up, air and space. That That's our only salvation. So I think once we start realizing this, that there is no naval mm-hmm. and no access to anything, you know, very little land. So I think we're starting to realize that and we're, mm-hmm. we're focusing uh, on air and space. And as we do that, um, I think they made a very good decision to, to buy something so they can at least operate it because even through operation of something, you're going to learn, right. you learn how to operate it. And then, yeah, exactly. And then ne- next step is to learn how to test it and at least assemble it. And then once you can test and assemble something, now you're ready to start designing it. So I think that's going to be the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us, um, you know, so after this test demonstration, everything goes successful. The team builds up this expertise. Now this can be done in Armenia. Aside from some of the stuff we already spoke about, such as potentially delivering on foreign orders and things like that, what can be done for Armenia? Like, let's say the government comes and you know d- does a tender for this thing that they need in space. What would that thing be? And is it something that could be delivered through your team now? It is obvious for all sides that collaboration with state uh, should happen. Of course, uh, for now, uh, government is interested uh, for ARMSAT projects, uh, new, new satellites, uh, providing new new capabilities and so on. And in parallel, as Masi said, uh, we, we, we have to grow up to uh, gradually uh, turn to our own domestic capa- capabilities, infrastructures and so on. Uh, not to purchase, but uh, to uh, build and uh, uh, satellites with our uh, with the functionality that we need uh, on our own um, and being uh, kind of independent in this area mm-hmm. uh, because it is not only about uh, market it is not on, it is also politics and so on so we need to be um, uh, self consistent we need to have our own capabilities uh, to do what what, what we need to do uh, what uh, the country uh, wants to have, because if we rely only on outer sources, at some moment, when we will need something very urgent, very necessary to our country, it may come that uh, they they don't give us that uh, possibility, that uh, technical uh, capability and so on. Uh, We need to have our own. Uh, so these are process uh, going uh, forward in parallel, 
uh, government should think about purchasing, of course, but also it should think about creating our own infrastructures, capabilities, educational basis for all, all these uh, areas, uh, uh, which means that uh, uh, sooner or later we will co collaborate. For example, doing some domestic parts for our uh, next armsats uh, or creating our own platform uh, for example, uh, Bazumk is uh, thinking about creating its own, uh, our own uh, domestic modules for uh, small satellites. And by testing one by one different uh, systems, we uh, uh, eventually may have a whole kit uh, for a satellite, completely domestic satellite. Both processes are important and necessary. Can you speak a little bit more about what domains that would could be used for? Like the obvious things that come to mind are like improving our security infrastructure, things like telecommunications, or what would those potentially be used for? for Applications, you mean? Yeah, I'm sure that Armenia needs remote sensing. Uh, most of countries, most of countries uh, needs remote sensing. It is very valuable for any country. What is remote sensing? Uh, remote sensing, it means imaging Earth uh, landscapes from space, from orbit, and uh, using those images for different purposes. It may be cadastral tasks, it may be emergency tasks, or uh, water resources, uh, many different, sometimes very strategical uh, tasks that we need to get information from space, analyze and uh, find uh, optimized solutions uh, to those problems. And remote sensing, just to clarify, it's a more general term, so it's not limited just to imaging. Imaging yeah. is the most popular one, but it, it also applies to other sensors. So it's not just optical, it could be other types of sensors uh, that are used to collect data. For example, I mentioned uh, infrared sensing. Um, it is not imaging, but uh, you get, for example, if you have a network, uh, around the Earth, you can get the mm, uh, heat conditions on Earth at any moment, at any because it is a network globally at any moment. What is the situation? We are already now informal, but uh, sooner we will have formal uh, agreements with a French uh, company to work with their satellites uh, launched. Uh, uh, just for that purpose. I would just want to add something. So, yes, I, I think at some point there's going to be collaboration, right, with the state because the state, um, and, and we could talk about it in general terms. So in most countries around the world, and especially in the past, yeah, you, you can't do this by yourself. You need like billion-dollar budgets, right? So Europe, Japan, U.S., right? They all, these countries subsidize their space programs. Right. They, they help pay for them and they help um, industry by subsidizing them, right? So that's how it was done in the past. However, and we probably still need to do that, but going forward, um, there's a whole space economy, right? So that's like another topic. Um, the space economy now, it's just growing at such a rapid pace, um, you know, because of the, um, the, um, the standardization of satellites, the, the affordability of launch vehicles that we talked about earlier, uh, the, the space economy can now boom, right. and and it is in the process of booming, um, and so I think the, the the numbers that we've been seeing and that are available publicly are is by the end of this decade, uh, it'll exceed a trillion dollars. The space economy. Yeah, the space economy will exceed a trillion dollars, <laughs> and <laughs> that's I think every year they probably update that. They probably might go up yeah. because it's uh, there, there's so many players now, um, and so that's again. Um, even economically, if we're not even talking in terms of security, I think those security things are obvious. Again, I, I say things are obvious, but maybe because I'm 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 uh, involved in it. But uh, the, the economy part, the economic uh, impacts and ben uh, opportunities here are huge. And again, this is an area where Armenia shouldn't fall behind. Uh, if if not for scientific purposes, which again that's something we're very good at, security reasons, which right. is obvious uh, important. Um, for economic reasons, yeah. uh, to get into this field, it's huge. And if we're, we consider ourselves a high-tech country, uh, th I think this is a natural mm -hmm. progression, uh, organic, yeah, progression 
uh, into this domain. Yeah. Nersa Sohanyan made a great point on the podcast a, a few months ago. He said um, things like software engineering, which is something that Armenia has excelled at, will increasingly become more and more available in different countries. And it'll be less of a differentiator, but things like space or um, like high-end AI research, things like that will be things that will still be niches in terms of where the talent is located. So developing it uh, in Armenia or for any country's interests is in- extremely important to remain competitive and important and interesting to, to the world. So and it's really interesting that how space tech is sort of being looked at as almost like a platform now for launching new businesses. Like we spoke with um, a company from Norway, I believe it was last year, who um, through like their satellites they had been launching, they were operating different IoT devices. And I think it was Denmark. Denmark, was, you're was right. Denmark, Denmark yeah. yeah, I believe it was called. Sheila, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating how it's, it's like giving rise to this whole new field of startups that, um, you know, before it was probably extremely, extremely difficult as you were saying for a startup to enter the space, but thanks to the prices coming down, it's been uh, more and more readily available. Before we started, we joked that we could go on for, for four hours and I, I think we weren't joking, we were serious. So to respect your guys' time, I'll, I'll wrap on, on this question. So today we're seeing these, um, these nascent but important steps in sort of fostering a, a, a space tech ecosystem. First, what would you like to see in Armenia in 10 years? And what's the important next step in order for us to get there after Hayasat 1 and all the things that are happening now? As I said, Bazunk is a space research laboratory and we are focused on that. But uh, our vision is that uh, when we uh, achieve some success and uh, find interesting uh, innovative solutions for technologies, for uh, space research and so on. Uh, These solutions uh, may have uh, some potential for commercialization. And uh, from that point, uh, our vision is that uh, startups will emerge and will uh, start uh, working uh, for commercializing those solutions and collaborating. Mm with uh, um, with Bazung uh, to compare I, I I'm used to compare it with a, uh, with a tree if uh, Bazung may be the roots of the tree um, uh, the these startups may be the branches of that tree and the fruits may be the result of their uh, of their uh, activity so all these parts are needed. Uh, we can't just stop on research and we can't get rid of research. Uh, re- research is always uh, giving uh, new uh, possibilities for uh, creating those uh, solutions for commercialization. Startups cannot uh, work uh, uh, without laboratories like CSI and Bazung and, uh, and will not even emerge. But um, Bazung and CSI also will need to have such startups to collaborate with them and uh, to get some benefit from their activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, 10 years from now, uh, that's a good question. I think uh, that's very important for us to figure out for ourselves um, as an organization, and more, but more importantly as, as a country, where we want to be 10 years from now in this domain. And then work backwards from there. You know, if that's where we want to be ten years from now, then where do we need to be five years from now? What do we need to do in three years? What do we need to do next year so that we're on track for that ten-year uh, roadmap? I think it's important to develop that strategy. And we, we talk about this all the time, but I think we need to, um, based on the results of this uh, project, High Asset One, I think we need to talk about um, concrete uh, milestones and a roadmap to get there based on the confidence that we gain from this. Um, I think it's doable that we can have our own uh, satellite platform. I think we can have that in a few years. In, in 10 years, I believe we can have domestic c- capacity to build, to design uh, and build and operate our own satellite platforms. What's a satellite platform? Uh, it, it could be, you know, 16U, or it could be a custom satellite. Uh, 
10 years like a, time a, a is planned. satellite that yeah that that is manufactured here and that is built, yeah, built and, you know built and tested here and operated from here when it went in orbit and and the perp- and, and the reason for that is obviously you know um you know, to have that uh, domestic capa- uh, capability for independence, but more importantly, it's to give uh, all the other startups in other uh, areas um, of technology an opportunity to have uh, their payloads tested and uh, qualified in space. And so we could be a platform for that. Uh, so it, it, it could be a variety of things. It could be let's have our own national satellite platform or space agency. We should definitely have a space agency, and we could talk about that. Um, you can have a space agency agency without uh, doing launches yourself, or, or like yeah, at a, yeah. at a, like a yes. state space agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we didn't. Well, there's so many things we haven't talked about. Actually, all you guys the are first, come back, yeah. Yeah, all <laughs> the first achievements that we that we did with this project. I mean, first time registering with the international with United Nations international frequencies for Armenia. First time we imported components into Armenia. First time we exported satellite out of Armenia. There's so many firsts. We could talk about that maybe another time. But uh, I think there's a long road ahead of us. And we just have to remember that I don't want um, the impression to be, well, we launched into space. That's great. We have our own satellite. All right, you know, check. It's not a check. I think this is the first step in a long road. So we have to keep going and not let this be, uh, you know, put it in the museum and say, hey, we, we got to space we're yeah. great and then move on we need to make this uh let's agree that after the yeah. launch uh you guys will come back to to give us some some more insights on, oh, on everything <laughs> yeah. uh, i would like to add that uh, when we speak about the platform uh, we mean uh, the standard part of the satellite doing the standard part of the f- its functionality but which can be um uh, integrated with a custom payload uh, which will provide uh, some custom functionality, uh, which will be th- uh, the functionality of that certain satellite. Okay. So if you have uh, some universal platform, you can integrate it with different uh, payloads and have uh, satellites uh, doing different job. I see. Yeah. Mm. Super last question. Why did you guys name it Hyasat 1? Mm-hmm. Hayasat, uh, you know, uh, first of all, we are proud of doing this work and uh, we would like to, uh, uh, with that name, we would like to somehow mention uh, that historic event for Armenia, for Armenians, doing for the first time their own domestic satellite. And uh, that was obvious that uh, the word high will be included in that. And on the other side, uh, to uh, to be uh, clear for others that it is a satellite, so SAT also was right. um, connected to that, and we obviously uh, got Hayasat. There were many other, uh, of course, uh, names that suggested uh, for uh, by the team members, but uh, they all were good for some specific uh, uh, next generation satellites, but not. For the first one. Right. So we decided to name it Hayasat. Right. Okay. Thank you both, uh, not only for coming, but for, for all the, the important work you guys are doing. And I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation after the launch. And, and I wish you guys a successful and good launch. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it.